A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Lord, you are Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came to be through him, but the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to those who did accept him, he gave power to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born not by natural generation, nor by human choice, nor by a man's decision, but of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we saw his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, The one who is coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. From his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace. Because while the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only Son, God, who is at the Father's side has revealed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. when you have just a little bit of faith that God is real, that Jesus Christ is his son, just some of the most fundamental basics of Christianity, and you read this passage here, it lights up. It's unbelievable. I don't know if you, I mean, I try to read it just a little bit more dramatically than what I normally do just to emphasize what's being said here. It's like, the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this, and this is who is coming into the world, the very author of creation. Creation was His. He made it. And He wanted to be part of it, come into it, come and reveal Himself to us. I, this should... I mean, that, that's, that's enough to think about, like, from here till, you're, till you die, till you go to heaven, and then it'll be explained. But, but there, it's just so profound, so, so, so deep to think about that. The eternal God, the creator of the universe, 
came into the world. Didn't stay as some distant power, some, I don't know, some unapproachable lightning and thunder, but rather came into the world. And, and this coming into the world was something that was prepared for several thousand years of revelation, beginning with Genesis, going all the way through. And, and as we go through that, this letter of the Hebrews, where he's, the, the author here is pulling in all of what had been come for the previous several thousand years, trying to tie up to show in that man, Jesus of Nazareth, it's a culmination of everything that's been happening before. The, the, the author to the letter of the Hebrews, it, what the, the actual letter itself, it, it seems to be some kind of an extended homily or a discourse, some kind of preaching probably in a synagogue, but he's clearly preaching to uh, a, a Jew preaching to other Jews who are familiar with the, with the whole story, the whole narrative, beginning with Genesis and the flood and the book of Job and the suffering that, that came out and King David and, and the promises of the prophets that foretold of a coming one, a coming Messiah. They knew what the, where this was all going and he's basically tying all that together and showing that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. And he says what we just listened to. This is, we're at the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. In times past, think Old Testament, God spoke in partial, in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, and he's speaking, yeah, this was written some, a few decades after Christ's coming. In these last days, he has spoken us to us through the Son whom he made heir of all things, and through whom he created the universe, who is the refulgence of his glory, the very imprint of his being, who sustains all things by his mighty word. If anyone came into the church, climbed up in the pulpit, and said, I sustain all things through my word, you would want to check them into a hospital. But that's what he's saying about the person of Jesus Christ. What I wanted to go into here, though, is that, yes, he, the fullness of the revelation of who God is, who we are, and how he wants to relate to us isn't in a written document. Partially it is, Scripture. But who we are, who God is, and that relationship, what he, the way God most wanted to communicate that in its complete fullness is a person. Jesus. In everything about his life, everything about who he was, everything about who he is, everything about what he did.
He first comes as a child. That's saying a lot. He didn't come in power. He didn't come in glory. He didn't come to demand our allegiance and say, okay, you, ha- you already had the Ten Commandments. Now, those who were following that, great. You, are in, you get to be, be part of this, this power. He comes in weakness and humility in a way that is the absolute most approachable person anywhere. The most approachable. That's a baby. It's amazing. You, you, you pick up a baby and you can like look it straight in the eyes and it's like transparent. It's like you're like you're the, it's almost without exaggerating. It's like well, maybe a little bit, but it's almost like you can see into the baby's soul and the soul is looking into your soul and it's okay because there's no need to be afraid of anything because you know the baby's not going to take anything away that's precious from you. As a matter of fact, it only brings out what is precious in you. Goodness, love, joy. desire to give to yourself, protect, take care of, nurture, all this good stuff just comes right out of you with the baby, and they haven't threatened you in the least bit. So I think that says a lot when our Lord comes that way. He's also saying, I want to come, I want to experience everything that you've experienced. But not from a, a padded situation like, okay, I'll, I'll kind of like dip my, my, my foot in the, in the pool of suffering a little bit and just kind of see it just that way I can relate, you know, and so I can speak to it. It goes all the way through. Born in this very small town where there's not, not even in a home, in this, in this cave this stable, that's what they used in Bethlehem at the time, they used these caves to, as their stables. If you go there, you can see it today. You can, it's, it's still there. And he goes through his whole life, and the very first thing he has to do is become a refugee. Flees to Egypt. Very first thing, someone is making an attempt on his life. But he's come to change that, though. Not just experience it, but he's come to transform that. And transform it from the inside through us by transforming us. He first did it there in, the, in that cave, in the stable where he was born. You can, you can just imagine the shepherds who not but 24 hours ago, we're just, they're just doing their thing. They're just being shepherds. They're just out there, and they got their lives, which are however. And then the angels appear, absolutely scare the bejesus out of the shepherds. And it makes this announcement to them, a child is born in Bethlehem. Go. And they go in. And you can just imagine what the expression on their face, the way that changes from the way they normally are out there in the, in the fields, taking their, they're, they're, they're hanging out and they're, 
they're obviously they're working, but but it's a rough life and, and probably a kind of a rough crowd, the rest of the other shepherds. They have a lot of time to think, a lot of time. But then they come in and you can just imagine how any kind of hardness in their face would have just kind of like melted away as they look and see this child that the angels had foretold them. You see, the, the, the wise men, and we'll, we have the Feast of Epiphany, we'll, we'll speak more about them too. They came from far off, somewhere in the, in the Far East. We don't know exactly where, there's different theories, but, but here are these, these men of, of wisdom, of learning and knowledge, and, and they, they get on their, 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 their camels, or, and they, they go the, so, so many months travel in order to get there, and, and here are these, these men of wisdom and learning going into the stable, kneeling down in the dung to offer gifts. It's changed them radically. They're not the, the wise men that sit on top of the mountain that other people can climb up the mountain in order to receive nuggets of wisdom and truth. They're the seekers. They've become the seekers. And then they become gift givers, giving from the best that they have to the Lord. As we approach the Lord, start walking closer into his sphere, so to speak, as we approach that cave, and this is what we want to do, as the shepherds did, as the wise men did, in humility. And maybe, maybe an easier, more approachable way to think about it isn't necessarily like humility, like I got a grovel or something like that. No, no, that's not real humility. That's just, that's, that's self-effacing or something. But, but it's simplicity. The greatest simplicity, just dropping pretense, dropping our, our walls, our, our complicatedness, our, 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 our self-esteem, our, the sense of prestige and accomplishment, and just, and just being so otherly. But not just for anyone, but for God who comes as a child, as a baby who wants us to be able to look into his, into his eyes without any hesitancy, without any worry about what is, what is he going to take from me. I think that's so much the message. But then as we do that, as we, and what he was doing for the, the shepherds, what he was doing for the wise, and what he was doing for everyone who came in contact with him, for Joseph, and well, Mary was already, she was already there, so to speak. But they're transforming them by, by pulling away the stuff that builds up, the, 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 the mud, the accretions, the, 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 you call it filth, but in here, just think of like on a meta-narrative of like what the world has that at the time was just so nasty, which we still have today. But he's like, he's like wiping that away and creating this area, this place where you can walk in and have your heart lit up renewed, restored through that kind of simplicity, through that kind of humility. And as he does that, as he did that for them, and as he does that for us, if we approach him with that kind of simplicity and humility, we, we look down and see what he did to our heart, and it's like, that's who I am. 
that. Not this other pretense of a person that's got all these walls for protection and, and for other things. He reveals to us who we are. And he said, I created you, and I love you. And I want to be here with you, among you, walk with you. We only ever really find out who we are in relationships. Start that with a family. How does a baby figure out who they are? They have a mother who holds them. A father who takes care of them. I know there's, there's enough broken, broken homes and all, but... And then with siblings and, and in the community and the, the, the relationship and the care that they give for each other. It's like that's how you figure out who am I and what's my place in the world through the relationships. And God wants to be in a relationship with you so he can show you who you are and you can see what your identity is. And see it as something amazing, something that's not your own merit, but yet something he wants to give you and he has created you for. Sorry, it's, this is, maybe it's really kind of heady abstract stuff, but I think it's really real. I was talking to, to someone a, a few weeks ago who had uh, grown up completely atheist. Atheist parents... You know, you can be a cradle Catholic. Well, this, this individual was a cradle atheist. Except they didn't fall away like a lot of cradle Catholics do. They, they stayed in atheist. So they were cradle atheist, stayed atheist, but then realized like something's not right about the world. They just, this, this individual was just like unsettled in their life and started, went on a whole big punk um, voyage to try, to try to find out, well, for, establish their identity and, and identity through a rebellion. And that wasn't really helping. And they're falling into a, a pretty significant depression, existential crisis, call it. And then so they wound up in, a, in a, some kind of a non-denominational evangelical church. And, and they said it kind of helped. And they even got baptized, but it kind of helped, but not, not fully. And then went to a uh, found an Episcopalian church, and there it was like it was better, but it was like, well, this is the, the words they said, but it was like they didn't have clear ideas. It's like they were like in there, but like not fully, like only 80% or something like that. And then they found, got introduced to a Catholic family, one that just really is all in in their faith, said, this, this is it, this is it. And as this individual was telling me the story and says, like, now I know my place in the world makes sense because I, now I know what I'm made for. The joy and the peace and the love that was there. And, and they couldn't help but tear up just as they were talking about it. Because they found their meaning. They found their identity. I know who I am. I know who loves me. I know where I'm going. And I want that.
if we had the ability to be there with the shepherds and the wise men who brought incense. I think we would be incensing the Lord. I don't know, maybe as a baby that would be like toxic fumes or something like that, but don't think about that. Sorry, it's a distraction. Never mind. When we come in here, what's the first thing we, that, that, that the priest does? It incenses the altar. And this is a very real thing that we're incensing the place where God is going to be descending from heaven to come down and be among us. That's what Christmas is. God descending down to be one of us, among us. And so in a very real way, what we are celebrating here isn't just something that took place 2,000 years ago, that birth in Bethlehem. We're also celebrating something that's about to happen here now for us. You all, all, all of us right here. A new Christmas today where God descends on the altar, which we incense, preparing it, making it holy, a holy place to receive him. This time not in the form of a baby, but in the form of bread and wine, the forms, to nourish us, strengthen us, renew us, food for the journey, bread of angels, as it's called. And as that chalice and the patent that will be on the altar shortly are these precious things that hold that most precious blood and that most precious body. As we receive the Eucharist, that's what he wants you to be. <laughs> that precious chalice, that precious patent to receive and carry with you and be incarnate in you. Our Lord came 2,000 years ago. He comes today, and he comes to be born in you, to commune with you, to be one with you. Anyways, there's so much that we could go into, but let's just continue here with this Mass, with this sense of awe, the sense of mystery, the sense that we're participating in something that we're never going to fully understand this side of heaven, but that something that God has called us to in the most marvelous, wonderful, unpredictable, unmerited way, He comes for you.